Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We are in a series on 1 Peter. We're in chapter 3 today. I want to talk to you about how to build a godly marriage. Perhaps you've heard the story of a husband who was upset with his wife. Um, She had accidentally left the car running, and when he went out and found it, he was so upset. He, He stormed into the house, and he made a critical remark. He said, I don't know how God could have made someone so beautiful and yet so dumb. She looked at him. She wasn't happy either, and she made a snide comment and said, I'll tell you why God did that. God made me beautiful, so you would love me. He may be dumb, so I'd love you. Marriage can be a challenge sometimes, can it not? It can be a challenge. And instead of what happened in this story, what we're going to see today when we go to the scriptures is how God commands husbands to treat their wives and how God's word commands wives to respond to their husbands. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about that. You know, Paul gets, Paul the apostle gets all the bad rap uh, from critics of scripture. They'll say, oh, you know, Paul talks about how the wives should submit to their husbands. And yet Peter here has seven verses and six of them are talking to the wives and nobody says anything about Peter. So we're in Peter today and we're going to talk about submission and, and ladies, uh, I want you, and men especially too, I want you to keep an open mind uh, and listen to what God's Word says before you say anything, because I can promise you one thing, it's not what you think. It is not what you think. G.F. Hawkins said it best. He said, submission can be seen either as a lid or a covering. A lid will hold you down, but a covering will protect you. And there's a big difference. And that's what we're going to talk about, submission being a covering. Now, let's look at this in context. In 1 Peter chapter 2, because there in 1 Peter 3, it says in the same way. So we've got to back up and go, what do you mean in the same way? We'll look in chapter 2, verse uh, 13. And he says to the congregation, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, and then it goes on to governors and so on. And so God's word to all of us as Christians is submit to every human authority. Why? Because of the Lord. Okay? Because of the Lord. And then in verse 18, it talks about household slaves. It says, slaves, submit to your masters with all reference, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. And when we read that, In our modern day version, that almost sounds cruel, doesn't it? Because you can go, well, I should submit because I'm supposed to. I'm a slave, so I'm not in a position to exert myself. And so I'll submit to the ones that treat me right and not to the ones who are cruel. But he says, God's word says, submit uh, to your masters with all reference, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. And then we get down to the wives in chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, wives, submit to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. And now he's telling wives to submit to their husbands even if they disobey the word. What word? God's word. Now, this has already got me in the weeds, Brother Don. Help, right? (laughs) You read this and go, Peter, you got me in the weeds here. What's going on? But let's look at what it says. Let's look at what God's Word says. Let's keep an open mind of what God is trying to communicate to us. Now, I want to go to Ephesians 5 for just a minute. I want you to realize that Paul and Peter, two apostles, one to the Jews, one to the Gentiles, they taught the same thing. And Paul in Ephesians 5 said, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Remember where we we said we submit to human authority because of the Lord? Well, now he's telling wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, in In order to build a godly marriage, the way the wife is to respond, the way the husband is to treat, you've got to have the Lord in your life for it to work. 
Okay? Please understand that. You've got to have the Lord in your life for it to work. So he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. That's what Scripture says. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You know, we live in a world today now where governments want to either redefine marriage or destroy marriage. But can I tell you something? God, uh, God's idea was marriage. Marriage was God's idea. He's the one that uh, designed it. He's the one that instituted it. And so we have to go to God's word and say, how does marriage work? What is God saying here? And it's very important that we look at what marriage is supposed to be like because it's a picture of something much bigger and greater and what is that it's a picture of christ and the church and so when whenever man tries to monkey with marriage please understand it's a picture of christ in the church and you got to have god in your life you got to have god in your home god in your marriage for it to be all that god wants it to be now let's look at titus chapter 2 for a moment again i'm just giving you context giving you a little bit bigger perspective here on this teaching about uh, wives submitting to their husbands. Now, Paul wrote a letter to Titus, who was a, uh, a, a Gentile. He was a, uh, a young minister, pastor, if you will, a leader in the church, and he was sent to the island of Crete, uh, to the island of Crete. And uh, on that island, here's what he told him to do in Titus 2, 3, 3 through 5. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They, the older women, are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. Did you catch that? Uh, the apostle is telling a, a young pastor to teach God's word to the church and guess whose responsibility it is to teach the wives they need to be submissive to their husband? It's the older women. The older women are to teach the younger women, here's how God wants to work in your marriage. Here's how you need to respond to your husband. And by the way, this is what God's word teaches. And you're learning from someone that's in the same shoes as you are. And you're learning all the lessons of life from their example. Notice it says that when wives submit to their husbands, they do this so that God's word will not be slandered. Okay, so that God's word will not be slandered. Uh, in other words, it goes against God's word to teach otherwise. Now, that's some strong truth. Um, now, let's go back to 1 Peter and let's start looking at what is Peter saying about this subject of wives being submissive to their husbands. Because here's the thing. I hope you stick with me because right now, a lot of you are going, does it mean this? Does it mean that? I'm not sure where you're going. Well, let's go into God's word and let's find out. So there in 1 Peter 3, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their lives, uh, wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, the implication here, when he says, even if some, even if some husbands disobey the word, the implication is that Paul, uh, Peter is possibly talking to women in the church who are believers in Christ, and they're married, and their husband isn't a believer. Okay? That's the implication there. And he's saying, I want to show you how to win over your husband. Okay? How can I reach my husband for Christ? If he sees me come to church, if he sees me read my Bible and pray, and then when he wants to do something and I go, no, and then when he tries to lead in the home and I go, well, I can do better, whenever you have that dynamic, it's not going to work. And so Peter says, how do you win over your husband? Not with words. I'm going to get real quiet for a minute. 
What does Proverbs say? A foolish son is his father's ruin, and a wife's nagging is an endless dripping. Then Proverbs 27, 15, an endless dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife or alike. Drip, drip, drip. Okay, you're with me, right? Uh, ladies, <clears throat> nagging doesn't work. We men are stubborn. We men have a, a gift. It's called selective hearing. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, we can be doing something. You're talking, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, well, yeah. And, and then what did I say? I don't know. You know, I mean, then, then all of a sudden we walk by the TV, the ball game. Oh, and, and we know exactly what the commentator said, right? You can thank me later, wives, because the guys are now going, shh, no. Okay, so nagging doesn't work. And, and we know that. God knows that. Peter knows that. And he says, wives, if you want to win over your husbands, you can, but you can do it without a word. You don't have to win an argument. You don't have to say the right thing to get his attention. That's not how it works. He also says, if you want to win over your husband, it's with your lifestyle. Notice what uh, husbands need to see and notice what God values. He says here, um, you can win your husbands over uh, without a word by the way you live. When the husbands observe, verse 2, your pure and reverent lives. When they see you living out your faith in Christ, when they see it day by day by day, when they see the consistency of it, God's going to use the power of example to really make a deep impression on them. Then he says in verse 3, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and, and wearing gold jewelry. And sad but true, um, I know there are some faith groups that use this as a proof text that women you know, shouldn't you know, dress up and shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that. And I had a senior adult lady one time, Devin, she was in her 70s. She goes, you know what I think, preacher? And I said, what? She goes, if the barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> but at any rate, <clears throat> he, uh, he says, you know, wives, uh, um, you, you've got a beauty of the heart that's beyond physical beauty. And that's what he says there in verse 4. But rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. What I see Peter doing here is he's saying a godly wife has leverage in her marriage. But let me tell you what it's not before I tell you what it is. It's not sweet talk. And it's not nagging. It's not sex appeal, you know, making yourself attractive and, and leveraging that to make him do certain things. It's not sweet talk. It's not nagging. It's not sex appeal. It's spiritual influence. Notice here, it's the heart. It's that gentle, quiet spirit that God says is of great worth in his sight. It's that spiritual influence that you can use to leverage your husband. He may be the head of the home, but you're the neck. You've got leverage. You've got influence. You've got to learn how to use that wisely. So now we're still in the weeds. Give me an example. Give me a picture, right? That's how I learn, and that's how Peter learned. Because now we're going to say, okay, if this is what submission and marriage looks like for a wife, what does that actually look like? Can you give me a shoe leather example? Well, that's what Peter does next there in verse 5. For in the past, he says, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way. Okay, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Boy, Peter's a fisherman, but he came to know Christ and God revealed a lot of stuff to him. And wow, is he getting deep here. Let's look at this for a moment. Now, notice he says, Sarah and Abraham. Uh, here, the Holy Spirit is giving us a textbook example of what does it look like in a marriage 
when the wife is submitting to her husband and he says exhibit A is Sarah and Abraham. He says that Sarah obeyed Abraham. He even says that Sarah called him Lord. And when you look that up, when I first saw that, I went, now, wait a minute. And I went back and I looked, 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 looked. One time, one time Sarah called Abraham Lord. It's found in Genesis 18, 12. I'll read it to you real quick. God has spoken to Sarah saying that she's going to have a son a, a year from now. And uh, God is telling Abraham to tell Sarah because she's in the tent and she's hearing it. And she laughs to herself, Genesis 18, 12, and she says, after I'm worn out, because she's about 90 years old, Abraham's about 100, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? And as one uh, commentator said, Sarah may have been amused at the prospect of having children at such a advanced age, but even in the midst of her laughter, she, she referred to Abraham respectively. She called him Lord. It would have been a term um, of, of respect, just like we call people sir and ma'am. That would have been how it was used back then. So let's look for a moment. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Stick with me here, because I think the Holy Spirit through Peter has given us something here in the marriage of Abraham and Sarah. And for the next few minutes, I want us to look at Abraham and Sarah's marriage to unlock the understanding of what does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband. Now, you know about Abraham, and hopefully you've heard of Sarah. What you may not have known is when you go to the book of Genesis and you read their story, you will find five snapshots. You'll find five scenarios, five situations in the Bible where you see Abraham and Sarah interacting with each other. And in each story, it's very instructive to help us understand what it looks like for a wife to be submissive to her husband in marriage. Number one, the first story, Abraham and Sarah go to Egypt. It's found in Genesis 12. I'll begin in verse 10. There was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say, you're my sister. So it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. And that's what they did. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. Oops. He treated Abram well because of her. And Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh. See, when you do God's work God's way, He's in on it. And Sarah has agreed to what Abraham has proposed. When we get to Egypt, they're going to see how beautiful you are, honey. They're going to kill me. But if you tell them you're my sister, they'll treat me good because of you. And they won't kill me. And she's like, well, I want you around for a while. So, okay, sounds like a plan. So they get to Egypt, and that's their story. And they stick to it. And what happens? Pharaoh says, man, she's a pretty woman. I want her in my harem. And he takes her into his harem. Uh-oh, now what? It says, the Lord, just watch closely here. This, this is going to be entertaining. The Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her as my wife? Now, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Did you see what just happened there? She agreed to what her husband proposed. It blew up in their face, and then God intervened on Sarah's behalf. The point is this. God protects submissive wives when their husbands fail to protect them. I mean, Abraham was a big weenie, wasn't he? He was more concerned about his skin than hers. He was more concerned about getting killed 
than her being taken. And yet God protected the submissive wife, Sarah, when her husband failed to protect her. That's one story. Let's go to the next one. The next story is found in Genesis 16, 1 through 5. Here, Abraham listens to Sarah and takes her advice. You did not expect that, did you? When we talk about wives being submissive to husband, many times women think, oh, you're just saying we're under men and we always will be. Oh, that, 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 that can lead to the perception we're just a doormat. We have to always defer. We always have to yield. We don't have a say-so. We can't do this. We can't do that. That's not what it means at all. Look at this. In Genesis 16, verse 1, Abraham's wife, Sarah, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarah approaches Abraham and says, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, the Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. And this happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan for 10 years. So I think he's about 85, which means she's about 75, Sarah, that is. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. And then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. If you haven't woke up yet, you're going to wake up now. Because the application here is this. Sarah has an idea... She presents this to Abraham. He agrees with the idea. It completely blows up in Sarah's face because now her slave is pregnant and despises her. And now Sarah blames Abraham even though it was her idea. Are we awake yet? Sarah blames Abraham and appeals to God to judge between her and her husband. Now, again, when you think of submission in marriage, nobody talks about this. Nobody would even dare go there. But when you go to the Word of God and you let it speak for itself and you say, what's going on here? That's exactly what happens to the story. See, to understand submission, you also got to understand headship. You know, there was laws in the Old Testament. I mean, we're familiar with the Ten Commandments, but then there were case laws that were thrown in there to expound on it. And one of the case laws that Moses mentioned was if a, if a woman makes a vow, her husband, or if she's not married, her father has the authority and the ability to release her from the vow. That's because of headship. And so here in a marriage, you got headship and you got submission. The wife can still have an idea. When she presents it to her husband, he's the head of the home. If he agrees with the idea and then it doesn't work, guess whose fault it is? It's his. This means yes. This means no. Okay, you don't believe me. All right, let's go back to the Garden of Eden, right? God said, said Adam, don't eat anything of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He must have passed it on to Eve. Next thing we know... Here comes the serpent, the devil, and he's engaging with Eve. And ultimately, after talking about it, thinking about it, and seeing how good it looked and it might make her wise, she decided to take it and eat. And the Bible says, and her husband who was with her ate. Adam didn't say a word. He was just there for the ride. And then when it was over, they both ate of the tree that God told them not to and their eyes were open. And then they hear God in the garden. What did God say? Did God say, Eve, you're wrong. No, no. What did God say? He said, Adam and Eve. No, nice try. What did he say? He said, Adam, where are you? Headship. The submissive wife can have an idea. The husband say, that's great, let's do that. And then when it doesn't work, it's the man's fault. That's what this is saying. That's exactly what it's saying. Some of you are getting this and going, wow, I didn't know that was in there. Yeah, it's in there. All right. So let's look at the third story out of five here in the life of uh, Abraham and Sarah. Now we're in Genesis 18. 
and this is the story where Sarah calls him Lord. This is the one that Peter refers to, but I want you to see it in context. In Genesis 18, the Lord uh, and two others come and appear before Abraham. And he recognizes them and he shows hospitality of the day. He runs into the tent. Hey, Sarah, can you start making something? I'm going to go out to the barn and I'm going to slaughter uh, a young calf and we're going we're to feed our guest. One of them's the Lord. And so they do that. They prepare everything and then they sit down and have a meal. Sarah is still in the tent. Abraham is right outside the tent talking to these three men. And the Lord asked Abraham. And, and to put this in context, in a previous passage, God tells Abraham, you will have a son, not only from your own body, but you'll have a son through your wife, Sarah. Which means this, I know that I made a promise to you, and I know you've been waiting a long time and it hasn't happened yet. And I know you think that now that you've become a dad through Hagar and have a son, but that wasn't my plan. That wasn't my idea. I told you you're going to have a son, and it's going to come through your wife, Sarah. And now that God has spoken to Abraham about it, now God wants to tell Sarah about it. And in Genesis 18, 9, the Lord says, Where's your wife, Sarah? There in the tent, Abraham answered. And the Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. And Sarah, or Abraham and Sarah were old and they were getting on in years. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself and said, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I have a delight? Will I have this pleasure? And the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Isn't anything, is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. And Sarah denied it and said, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. I love that. Let me tell you what Paul Harvey would say. Let me tell you the rest of the story. So God has already spoken to the husband. Now God is speaking to the wife through the husband. And uh, he's saying, where's Sarah? Hey, I want you to tell her she is going to have a baby a year from now. And she hears it and goes, I'm almost 90 years old. Abraham's almost 100. Uh, after, after all this time and my Lord is worn out, I'm going to have this pleasure. And she laughs. And God says, why are you laughing? God can do anything. And Sarah's like, oh, I didn't laugh. And God says, oh, yes, you did. And can I tell you something? God always gets the last laugh. Because he tells Abraham, name your son Isaac. Do you know what the name Isaac means? Laughter. Laughter. For the rest of her life, let me tell you about, let me tell you about my son Isaac. Why are you laughing? Well, i got to tell you a story. God told me I'd have this boy, and I said, you're crazy. And he said, are you laughing at me? Oh, no, sir. Oh, yes, you are. And you're never going to forget it because I'm going to name him Laughter. And you're going to laugh with me. And so Sarah got it. She was a woman of faith just like Abraham was a man of faith. And in Hebrews 11, you know, the, the great chapter, the heroes of faith in, in, Hebrew, in Hebrews 11, did you know that Sarah's mentioned in Hebrews 11, 11, by faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. You, you saw what happened in the moment in Genesis 18, but after she had time to process it, after she had time to pray, she said, Lord, whatever you want to do, you'll make it happen. And she believed God and she received the promise. She was a woman of faith. Sarah respects Abraham. She calls him Lord, a term of respect there. And she believes God's promise. Wives, if you're going to submit to your husbands, you've got to respect your husband and you've got to believe God when he tells you what to do, to do it his way. Let, let's look at two more stories real quick. 
The fourth story is Abraham and Sarah go to Gerar. This is going to sound like a repeat, but here it is. It's in Genesis 20. From there, Abraham traveled to the region of the Negev, and he settled between Kadesh and Shur. And while he was staying in Gerar, Abraham said about his wife Sarah, She's my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar had Sarah brought to him. You know what just happened? Egypt, part two. Remember the very first story when Abraham says, Sarah, we're fixing to go to a, you know, a rough place over here. I don't know how these people are, but I know you're a beautiful woman. And if you want me to be around for a while, I don't want them to kill me to get to you. So just tell them you're my sister and, and they won't harm you and they'll treat me well because of you. Now, what do you do, ladies, if you try something and it doesn't work? You remember and you go, I'm not doing that again, right? And yet here we are, and guess what? We're doing it again. New place, different name, different face, and they're traveling. And Abraham says, you know, you're my sister. That's the story. And so she says, he's my brother. And King Abimelech of Gerar had Sarah brought to him. And it says, but God, watch this. Remember what happened last time in Egypt? But the Lord caused all these plagues to come on Pharaoh, and the Lord did it because of Sarah. Well, now look at again. But God, there in verse 6, then God um, said to Abimelech in a dream, <clears throat> or excuse me, verse, verse, um, verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. And said to him, you are about to die because of the woman you've taken, for she's a married woman. Now Abimelech cannot approach her. So he said, Lord, would you destroy a nation even though it's innocent? Didn't he say, she's my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. I did this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. I've also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I have not let you touch her. God is protecting Sarah when Abraham don't even know how. Did you see that? God is saying, Abimelech, <laughs> you ain't touching that woman. God is the one protecting her. I hope you feel the weight of that. But let's go on. Verse 7. Now return the man's wife, for he's a prophet, and he'll pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will certainly die you and all who are yours. And early in, the, early in the morning, Abimelech got up. He called all the servants together. He personally told them all these things, and the men were terrified. And then Abimelech called Abraham in and said to him, What have you done to us? How did I sin against you that you brought such enormous guilt on me and on my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What made you do this? And Abraham replied, I thought there's absolutely no fear of God in this place. They'll kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister. That's a side note. We don't even have time to go there right now. But uh, Abraham predates the law of Moses when it tells you all those things. Abraham and Sarah are half brother and sister. That means they have one parent the same and one parent different. But that's a whole other story. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, he says, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, through, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And so when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, show your Lord in me wherever we go and say about me, he's my brother. And then Abimelech took flocks and herds and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham and returned his wife Sarah to him. And look at this, ladies, listen. Abimelech said, look, my land is before you, settle wherever you want. And then Abimelech, a king, says to Sarah, look, I'm giving your brother 1,000 pieces of silver. It is verification of your honor to all who are with you. You are fully vindicated. Wow. This is a pagan king. And he's honoring a woman because she was willing to follow her husband. And even when he didn't protect her well, God did. And he's honoring her. Wow. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so they could bear children. For the Lord, look at verse 18, the Lord had completely closed all the wombs in Abimelech's household on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Again, we see God protect submissive wives when their husbands fail to protect them. Last story, real quick. Abraham and Sarah have a conflict over Ishmael. Oh, this one's good. 
in Genesis 21. Now, you know that Sarah got pregnant and had that baby boy named Isaac. And now it's time to, to wean him and to celebrate a, a, a milestone in his very young, early life. And Ishmael, he's a teenager now. You know, the, the boy that Abraham had through the slave named Hagar. And here's what happens in Genesis 21, verse 8. The child grew, that is Isaac, and he was weaned. And Abraham had a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. You know, just a big party. But Sarah saw the son mocking. You know, the one Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham. So Sarah said to Abraham, Drive out this slave with her son. For the son of the will not be a co-heir with my son Isaac. And this was very distressing to Abraham because of his son. She's saying, he's got to go. And it's, you know, it's part of his own flesh and blood. He's torn. And what happens next? But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed about the boy and about your slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her, because your offspring will be traced through Isaac. And I'll make a nation of the slave son because he's your offspring. Do you see what just happened there? Hey, God says, hey, Abraham, listen to your wife. Ladies, you didn't know that was in there, did you? All of a sudden we're going, well, I've always heard submit just means just come under there and keep your mouth shut. But when you look at what does it look like in the real world, what does it look like in real life, when you look at Abraham and Sarah, we see that God confirms a submissive wife's godly counsel. I want to summarize it very quickly. What does it look like for a wife to submit to her husband? Notice Peter said, Sarah obeyed Abraham. So I took the word obey and I made an acrostic. And here's what the uh, acrostic is. The O, offer ideas to your husband. When you submit to your husband, it doesn't mean that you have no input. It doesn't mean that you don't have any voice or any say-so. Offer ideas to your husband. And then the B is the blame rests on your husband. See, that's how submission and headship work. You have an idea and you present it to your husband. He says, man, I love that idea. That's great. And then it completely blows up in your face. It blows up in his face. Whose fault is it? Hey, Adam, where are you? Hello. Husbands, be careful what you agree to because it's on you. The E is expect God to intervene. I wish I had the time to go back at these five stories we just looked in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Go back and look at them again. And you know what you'll find? In every situation, not only is Sarah being submissive to Abraham, her husband, but God is involved every single time. Two times in Egypt and in Gerar, when Abraham is more concerned about himself than her, and he tells her what to do so he won't get killed, and it puts her in harm's way, immediately God steps in and he protects Sarah when Abraham doesn't. God does that. When, when Sarah's told that she's going to have a son, God shows up to tell her, and when she laughs, he says, Oh, yes, you did. And names the boy laughter. When you look at the other two stories, she has an idea. And Abraham agrees and it doesn't go well. God says, it's your fault, Abraham. Matter of fact, Sarah appeals to God and says, judge between me and him. Because she knows how submission works and she knows how headship works. And she knows that even though it was his, her idea, because he agreed to do it, it's his fault. And then the other story, the one we just looked at, when Sarah knows what God's plan is and she despises Ishmael mocking the promised child and says, he's got to go, and it tears Abraham up, God says, hey, Abraham, she's right. You need to listen to your wife. Expect God to intervene. See, ladies, don't depend on your words. Don't nag and don't sweet talk. Don't pretend on your looks or sex appeal. Use the gentle and quiet spirit of your heart. Leverage the spiritual influence that God has given you because when you submit to your husband, you're also submitting to God. Let that sink in. And then the why in obey 
is yield to your husband. Ultimately, he has the final decision, and if something doesn't work out, who does God come to first? Not you, but the husband. Again, I'll see that, say that quote that I said at the beginning of the message. Submission can be seen either as a lid or a covering. A lid will hold you down, but a covering will protect you, and that's the point. Now, some of you might be saying, I don't know about all this, and that's fine. There in verse 6, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you do what is good, and you do not fear any intimidation. Guys, ladies, submissions to submission to husbands should not arise from fear or intimidation. Christian women shouldn't be bullied or forced into this kind of behavior by their husbands. Sad but true, a lot of pagan men out there have used this verse to just beat their wife over the head with it. And that's not even the point. And that's not God's intent at all. You know, there's two reasons why a God, God allows divorce. One is adultery and one is abandonment. There's one I struggle with as a pastor and as a person who worked in counseling, and that's abuse. Because I'll be honest with you, if, if, if a woman is in a, an abusive relationship, and I mean she is, you know, her life is physically threatened to be around the man, the first thing you should do is separate in order to be safe and get some perspective and then seek godly counsel about what to do. But here, he encourages wives, and he says, you've become her children if you do what's good and you don't fear any intimidation. When you look at Abraham and Sarah's marriage, did you notice that God's actively present in every situation? God's the one that protects Sarah. God is the one that holds Abraham accountable. God is the one who speaks to Abraham and then Sarah. God is the one who tells Abraham to listen to his wife, Sarah. And ladies, do you realize that when you submit to your husband, you allow God to correct him? Let me say that again. That was a fastball, and I want you to catch it. Ladies, when you, when you, do you realize when you submit to your husband, you allow God to correct him? How many times have you tried to control your husband? How many times have you tried to change your husband? Guess what? It doesn't work. And even if it does, do you respect him? Do you respect a man that you can manipulate so easily? Remember our pastor growing up, Brother Walker? And he would say, he got up to preach one day and he said, all right, I want all the henpecked husbands to move over here. I'm going to preach to you this morning. All the men got up and went over here, and one man stayed. And he said, hey, I'm talking to you. you got to move over there. He said, I can't. My wife told me not to. <laughs> Let me transition. And ladies, I wasn't picking on you today. I'm doing what Peter did. Six verses for the wives, one for the men. But men, this is, this is a truth serum. Get ready. i got one more verse. I know I'm going long, but it's God's word, and we ain't going anywhere else. So one more verse. Verse 7, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. I like what Wearsby says about this, Warren Wearsby, and it sums it up well. As Peter wrote to Christian husbands, he reminded them of four areas of responsibility in their relationship with their wives. The first area is a physical responsibility. Live with your wives. Men, you got to be home. You know, there's a lot of men, if truth will be told, they will, they'll, they'll work late, they'll, they'll uh, hunt and fish, they'll do this, that, and the other. None, none of that's bad, okay? But here's where I'm going with it. They would, they would do anything rather than go home and spend time with the woman they love. Husband, if you're going to be the, the man of the home and if you're going to be the husband that God's called you to be, you can't ignore your wife. You can't just always be gone. You've got to spend time with her. Live with your wives. That's what he says. Husbands, live with your wives. Be present and be a provider. The second area is intellectual. It says to uh, live your wives in an understanding way. You know, some of you men have been married 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 plus years. 
My question is, how much have you learned? Not about women, but about your wife. Your wife. The one that you made a commitment to. The one that you said you would always be with. Understand them. Be aware of your wife's needs. And strive to meet them. The third area is emotional. He says, because our wife is the weaker partner, and I simply mean, I think what he's meaning there is just the difference between men and women. Men are built different than women. Well, I, I love what one comedian said. A, a, man, a man's body is like a sport u, u, utility vehicle, and a woman's body is like a luxury car. And so men are just built different. We're the stronger of the two genders. And so he says, your wife is the weaker partner. Show her honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. Notice it said co-heir. Men, your wife is your partner. Treat her like it. All these guys that beat their chest and, and act like they're all that and they look down on their wives, that's not what a man does. That's not what God's Word teaches. Your wife is a co-heir uh, with you of the grace of life. She is your partner. When God made Eve, He made her out of the rib of Adam's body. Not from his foot, so he would look down on her and try to trample her, but from his rib, right beside him. Partnership. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. Your wife is your partner. And number four, the fourth area of responsibility. The first one was physical, live with your wives. The second's intellectual in an understanding way. The third one is emotional, show them honor as a co-heir of the grace of life. And the fourth one is spiritual, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Husbands, men, here's what God's saying. How you treat your wife affects your prayer life. Let me say that again. Husbands, how you treat your wife affects your prayer life. If you're not loving her, if you're not leading her, and then you want to put on a good show and act like everything's all good, and you pray and your prayers are hitting the ceiling because God says, <clears throat> Hey, Adam, where are you? And so you and I have got to come clean as men. Wearsby says it this way, and I'll close with this. When you put submission and headship together, what does that look like? This is the best short summary I can say. Warren Wearsby says, the husband must be the thermostat in the home. You know what the thermostat is, right? It sets the, the tone and the temperature of the home, whether it's going to be hot or cold or whatever. The husband must be the thermostat in the home, setting the emotional and spiritual temperature. And the wife often is the thermometer, letting him know what that temperature is. And both are needed. That's how it works. So, again, I'll end with one more statement that I said at the beginning. If you want to build a godly marriage, you've got to understand how God's operating system works. The husband is the head. The wife submits to her husband. And God has designed marriage to work this way. And actually, ladies, you have a lot of freedom. Because when you submit to your husband, you're submitting to him as to the Lord. You're submitting to him and to the Lord. And the Lord says, I know this sounds scary because he can be a, a bonehead at times. Sometimes he makes bad decisions. Okay, maybe more than a few bad decisions. And sometimes he thinks of himself before he thinks of you. But if you will trust me and you'll follow me and you'll, you'll, you'll put this into practice in your marriage, don't depend on your words to move him. Don't depend on your sex appeal to lead him. Leverage your spiritual influence. Do what I have called you to do. And what you will find is every step of the way, I'm right there with you. 
Ecclesiastes says, if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Men, women, husbands, wives, the only third will that should be in your marriage is God. The husband, the wife, and God, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. The only way that you and I can have a godly marriage and a godly home is if we get God in our life and God in our marriage. That's the only way it'll ever work. And that's what God wants us to do. And again, this idea called marriage is God's idea and it's a picture of something so much greater. And what is that? Christ and the church. And so today we want to have an invitation. And I want to encourage you to do whatever God is calling you to do. See, God so loved the world that He sent His Son. He laid down His life. He shed His blood for all of us. And because of His blood, He purchased His people, the church. And now Christ says to the man, I want you to sacrificially serve your wife the way I did the church. And if it costs you everything, so be it. That's how it goes. And then the church submits to Christ because, oh, He loves me. Oh, He protects me and oh, He leads me. What, 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 what else would I rather have than that? And ladies, sum, submit to your husbands. Not all men. Your husband, that man, in your life. And see what God does in your marriage. Let's all stand, musicians, if you would come. We're going to have a time of response. We're going to have a time of invitation. I know it's been a little long today, but when you talk about something like this, you got to get it right. And so we had to get it right. But today I encourage you, if God's speaking to you, won't you step out and do what He's telling you to do as we pray. Father, we come before you right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time in your word. Father, I pray that you'd speak to each and every person. And Father, I pray that you'd have your will and your way in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would just touch every marriage that's here today, Lord. That you would speak to the husband. That you would speak to the wife. And Lord, I pray they'll have a conversation about what your word says. And Lord, they'll learn to get you in their marriage and build that godly marriage and have that godly home. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.